African-Americans in this country have struggled with being treated as equals since before we were a country. They've continuously sacrificed their lives to defend liberty for others while not getting much of it for themselves. And the battle for the rights of people of color continues to this day. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And while we're on our mission to root out racism in everyday life in the United States, we thought we'd take a look at the military. Right, Cindy. What are the odds that there's no racism in our armed services and its history? Um, zero. It's there from the very beginning before we were even a country. Right, so let's look at the history, you know, that we didn't learn in school. Well, the true story is that African-Americans have served in all major combat operations throughout the history of the United States, earning medals and awards for outstanding service. They've defended and given the ultimate sacrifice to a country that continues to deny them their basic rights. Well, that pretty much sums it up. But let's go back to the beginning, <laughs> starting way back in the 1700s. African-Americans played key roles in the history and success of the US military. More than 5,000 African-American troops made up of both free men and slaves fought in the American Revolution. It turns out both the Americans and the British used slaves to fight, promising them freedom for their service. Some did become free this way and many were left enslaved with broken promises and many were wounded or died in their efforts to gain freedom for the country as well as, as for themselves. Black militiamen fought in the late 1700s, though many white Americans opposed admitting African-Americans to the army because they were afraid of an armed uprising. Right, in 1775, George Washington issued an order to bar black soldiers from the Continental Army, but they were allowed to re-enlist by the following year in spite of opposition and state regulations. Why, you might ask? Because more bodies were needed to enlist, so almost every state had black soldiers in their American forces. So not only was the Revolutionary War funded with the money made on the backs of slaves, but many slaves, as well as free African-Americans, also served as soldiers. Right, Julie. Northern states began to recruit free and eventually enslaved men. In many cases, slaves were promised freedom in exchange for services. Some states allowed slaveholders to send slaves to the front in their place. Some offered their enlistment payments to their master in exchange for their freedom. You could really argue here that African-Americans helped free this country from the king, but then could not get freedom for themselves. Yes, that's what happened every time. They fought in the War of 1812 and... In the Battle of New Orleans a few years after that. In fact, in that battle, General Andrew Jackson asked for volunteer slaves to help defend New Orleans. What is a volunteer slave? That is a good question. 
Jackson also formed black regiments and promised them the same bounty as white soldiers. Many were promised emancipation, which of course often never materialized. So when the Civil War began in 1861 and Union troops arrived in Confederate states that held most of the slaves, thousands of African-Americans ran to help them. Men joined as unofficial troops and laborers and women worked as nurses and also cooked and did laundry. The Emancipation Proclamation issued on January 1st, 1863, officially allowed the enlistment of black soldiers into the Union Army. African-American leaders like Frederick Douglass urged African-American men to enlist in Union forces. But white and black soldiers didn't get equal pay, although some did fight for it and receive it eventually. A lot didn't. And many black women were never compensated for their services at all. That is not surprising. In 1866, when all black regiments were created during conflicts with Native Americans, an all black cavalry was nicknamed the Buffalo Soldiers by the Native Americans. And they fought for the United States Army to protect land and the settlers moving into that land. The name Buffalo Soldiers stuck and came to be used unofficially for all black military units. And it continued through the 1950s. Yeah. Henry O. Flipper, who was born into slavery in Georgia and attended Atlanta University after the Civil War, was the first black cadet to attend and graduate from the United States Military Academy at West Point. He published an autobiography that addressed the racism he experienced there, which was called the Colored Cadet at West Point. He went on to become the first black officer commanding the Buffalo Soldiers. And of course, women weren't even allowed to serve in the military in the 1800s. But Cathay Williams used the male name, William Cathay, to enlist for three years. Williams joined the 38th U.S. Infantry Regiment after passing a general physical. They didn't examine her whole body. She was honorably discharged after getting sick, but later joined the Buffalo Soldiers and was the only woman ever documented to do so. Then around 1898, when the United States invaded Cuba and the Philippines, Buffalo Soldiers served in Cuba, Mexico, and the Philippines, fighting alongside who was then Colonel Theodore Roosevelt and helped America win the Spanish-American War. As many as 80 black women also served as trained army nurses in Cuba, caring for troops who came down with yellow fever and typhoid. When the United States entered World War I in 1917, African-Americans registered for the draft and once again signed on to fight for liberty and democracy, despite their lack of liberty here at home. They were strong advocates of American ideals and hoped that it would change their status once they returned. More than 1 million African-Americans responded to the draft and served in the armed forces. One outstanding example of their contributions was this 369th Infantry Regiment, AKA the Harlem Hellfighters. U.S. General John Pershing was obligated to send reinforcements to European allies, but of course didn't want to risk the lives of white soldiers. So the 369 were relieved of their service duties in the U.S. and sent on loan to France to fight in World War I. They were among the first U.S. regiments to arrive in France for World War I and among the most highly decorated when they came home. It was an all black regiment under the command of mostly white officers. 
The Harlem Hellfighters spent 191 days on the front lines, about six months more than any other American soldiers during the war. They'd received less training. And in all of that time, they didn't give up any prisoners or ground that they captured. 171 of the officers and men who were part of the Harlem Hellfighters received medals both then and after their deaths for their bravery and valor. The unit as a whole received France's most notable medal and other honors. However, some of them, like so many veterans, had a hard time adjusting to life after their time in the war. Some returned with terrible injuries. Many had a hard time finding work. Here's a big question. Why does the U.S. allow people who give so much to struggle so hard afterwards? So many veterans are not given the services and treatment they deserve, especially Black veterans. Oh, this is absolutely true to this day for both Black and white veterans. It is a big shame. It is a horrifying shame that this country doesn't treat its veterans better. Mm -hmm. On a more positive note, Dr. Lewis Tompkins Wright, whose parents were former slaves, graduated from Harvard University School of Medicine and served in France during World War I as a doctor in the army. And when he returned to the United States, he became the first black physician at Harlem Hospital. Despite the continuing discrimination leading up to the Second World War, more than a million African-Americans volunteered to serve in the fight against Hitler. So America joined a war opposing fascism and discrimination, yet subjected a segment of its own citizens to discriminatory practices and segregation. So the war against fascism brought the inequities at home into focus for many Americans. And in 1948, President Harry S. Truman finally issued an executive act abolishing racial discrimination and segregation in the armed forces. Finally, although I think we still have a terrible problem with it. Oh yeah. <laughs> However, even though African-American enlistment and enthusiasm to defend democracy were high, military leaders believed they didn't have the physical, mental, or moral character to withstand warfare. And so most troops served in service units like cleaning toilets, fixing machinery, and cooking, rather than in actual combat. There was clear discrimination toward Black Americans in the military. First of all, only the Army and the Navy would even admit Black soldiers during World War II. And there were only four army units under which African-Americans could serve. And then the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, and that stoked patriotism among both white and black people. And everyone wanted to work together against the fascist powers. But even in the development of the draft, the systemic nature of racism is apparent. The act passed to begin conscription, which is the draft, calling for drafting 800,000 American men between the ages of 21 and 35. But two parts of this act were related to discrimination. The first said that in the selection and training of men under this act, there shall be no discrimination against any person on account of race or color. But the second part added that the final decision on eligibility lies within the armed forces. So basically they could do whatever they wanted. So Black activists kept pushing for equality in the military. Black leaders and organizations, including the NAACP and the National Urban League, met with President, now President Roosevelt to present a case for full integration of the armed services. 
which included things like allowing black women to serve as nurses and appointing black officers based on merit, not race. Black officers, when they could serve, could only serve in black regiments and black members of the Air Corps would serve in a black only unit. Howard P. Perry became the first black Marine in 1942. While he was training, he and other black recruits couldn't enter the main camp unless a white escort was with them. As the war progressed, attitudes very slowly changed. Although the military was still segregated, over a million African-American men and women served in every aspect of World War II. They kept fighting because they knew in part that besides the wars at hand, they were fighting attitudes, stereotypes, and they were fighting to gain their equality. At first, African-American troops were passed over or assigned to non-combat or service units, like you said, Julie. Mm -hmm. And then some African-Americans were finally trained in elite positions, such as the Air Force, and some units were desegregated for the first time at the Battle of the Bulge. So by 1945, more black troops were being assigned combat roles, but racism was still entrenched and most black units were led by white captains. Black troops were also still subject to Jim Crow laws, 1945 we're talking about. They were refused service in white food units, forced to the back of military buses. African-American troops often found German prisoners of war were being treated better than they were. They were completely segregated from their white counterparts. Their barracks were usually located in a separate area, usually in older, more dilapidated housing, of course. More than 80% of African-Americans were sent to the South for training and Southern communities did not want armed African-Americans nearby. Black recruits were routinely passed over for promotions and assigned menial and humiliating jobs. In a lot of cases, Black soldiers were abused and denied equal access to camp facilities. On one base camp in the 1,000 seat theater, only 20 seats in the rear were open to black men. They were denied access to the general store on base and they often had to walk everywhere from the base because they couldn't access public transportation. Back in 1940, Benjamin O. Davis Sr. became the first African-American to hold star rank in the armed forces. Every one of his promotions from major to lieutenant to colonel to brigadier general was temporary at first. He had also served with great honor as an officer with the Buffalo Soldiers, which were disbanded in 1951 when the military was desegregated. He won medals for distinguished service and his impact on war policy. He believed the armed forces had the chance to set an example and improve race relations for the entire country. And he worked hard to help make that happen. But the temporary nature of his promotions along with some of his later assignments were basically made to avoid putting him in charge of white troops. Davis's continued determination and excellence as he rose up the army ranks paved the way for other soldiers of color though, including his son, Benjamin O. Davis Jr., who became one of the highest ranking members of the Air Force as an Air Force General, earning his fourth star upon his retirement. Benjamin O. Davis Jr. was shunned and spoken to only for official reasons when he was at West Point and was their only black cadet. He graduated number 35 out of 276 and the Army Air Corps would still not allow him to train for flight. 
But once President Roosevelt promoted Davis Sr., his dad, to Brigadier General, he ordered the Army Air Corps to create a flying organization for Black troops. Davis Jr., the only living Black West Point graduate, was ordered to the Army Airfield. You know, Cindy, there are so many stories of troops and individuals who were just highly qualified, very dedicated, with impressive leadership skills and distinguished accomplishments, and were never really given their due. Both men and women of color have done so many amazing things for our country and their fellow comrades. Of course, women came after the men, just because that's the order of the way things go in a patriarchy. Right. So Major Della H. Rainey, who began in 1941 and retired in 1978, was the first black chief nurse in the Army Nurses Corps during World War II. At the time, black nurses were only allowed to tend, of course, to black servicemen. Then also Hazel Winifred Johnson Brown was a nurse and educator with the U.S. Army from 1955 to 83. She became the first black female brigadier general in the United States Army, which is huge, and the first black chief of the United States Army Nurse Corps. But this was 40 years after the first male black general, Davis Sr. She was also the director of the Walter Reed Army Institute of Nursing. By the way, she was born near here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. She initially applied to the Westchester School of Nursing, but she was rejected because she was black. She moved to New York City and enrolled in the Harlem Hospital School of Nursing. She also earned her bachelor degree in nursing from Villanova, a master's degree in nursing education from Columbia, and a doctorate in education administration from Catholic University of America, all while serving active duty in the Army. Wow. <laughs> in the 1960s, the first major deployment of an integrated military was sent to Vietnam. It was finally no longer the opinion that Black men weren't fit for combat. And during the Vietnam War, African-Americans faced a much greater chance of being on the front line and a much higher casualty rate. In 1965 alone, African-Americans represented almost 25% of those killed in action. It's a terrible consequence of equality in this situation. It's still not equality. Exactly. Following the Vietnam War and the phasing out of the draft, the number of African-Americans volunteering to join the army grew to way beyond their share of the population. In general, they account for nearly 25% of all enlisted army soldiers, while making up just 13% of the general population. Colin Powell, a name you might be familiar with, was the son of Jamaican immigrants and at, grew up in the Bronx and was 10 years old when President Truman ordered the desegregation of the armed forces. Powell attended City College of New York. He was a member of ROTC and became an airborne ranger who served two tours in Vietnam. He earned two presidential medals of freedom, a Purple Heart, and lots of other awards and distinctions, including British knighthood. President Reagan named General Colin Powell as National Security Advisor. He served as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the principal military advisor to Presidents George Bush and Bill Clinton. He came out of retirement to serve as our country's first Black Secretary of State under President George W. Bush. He also actually received three electoral votes for president in 2016, even though he wasn't running. Oh, that's funny. I sort of wish he had been. <laughs> our military has benefited greatly 
from the assistance and leadership of Black Americans, even though they had a struggle to participate. So many firsts for Black men and women for their valor and their leadership. Still, Black officers remain underrepresented and Black members of the armed services continue to face discrimination. One report from 2017 showed that Black troops face disciplinary action more often than their white counterparts. Oh, just like in school. Uh-huh. And yeah, everywhere else. <laughs> right, on the street. <laughs> yeah. Black women comprise about one third of all females in the military, a rate twice as high as the representation in the general population. And black men make up 17% of men in the military now. In 2008, Congress formed the Military Leadership Diversity Commission to increase diversity among officers because only 9% of officers were black in 2008, even though black soldiers made up 17% of the military. In becoming the first black president in 2009, Barack Obama also became the first black commander in chief. But still in 2015, the percentages were the same. There's still a lack of diversity in high level positions and black military personnel in all four branches of the military continue to face a higher rate of disciplinary action. As recently as 2018, Racial discrimination was reported at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, which is still mostly white. Complaints included the use of racial slurs, unfair discipline, and inappropriate jokes. The Academy's diversity officers said they are addressing the issue. Of course they are. And through all of this, we're not trying to glorify war or fighting. I hate it. Me too. Just trying to point out the racism in it. African-Americans in this country have struggled with being treated as equals since before we were a country. They've continuously sacrificed their lives to defend liberty for others while not getting much of it for themselves. And the battle for the rights of people of color continues to this day. Yes, it does. Thanks for joining us. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care.